Welcome nerds, now bracing for an entertainment incursion. Rolling Rockabilly Track Gearing you up with the latest in horror, video games, movies, and TV, now challenging for the Dark Saber. Nerds, this will be your finest hour. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, in this week's podcast, we're breaking down the first episode of Season 3 of The Mandalorian, and we've got reviews for the latest episode of The Last of Us and Cocaine Bear. Plus, Phil Spencer has been doing some interviews for Xbox, and we're talking AEW's Revolution card. And if today's episode isn't enough for you, don't forget you can get even more Amazing Nerd Show content on Patreon by subscribing to our $5 tier. Doing so, you'll gain access to our Best and Worst of the Week show. Though, if you'd like even more than that, additional bonus podcasts podcast will be available for our $10 tier that includes all of the other tiers benefits as well. That's right, Christian. Currently, we've got third tier exclusives like the Nerdies, where we discuss the top performances in TV and film of 2022. And also this month, we started a brand new segment called Better Late Than Never Reviews, where we review the films and TV shows that we didn't get a chance to discuss when they were first released. I mean, as of right now, we have about 17 bonus episodes uploaded to Patreon, uh, just waiting there for you guys to dive into. And I believe this week, Right, we're going to be recording our best and worst of the MCU's Phase 4. You can find our Patreon link in our show notes or simply type in patreon.com slash amazingnerdshow. All right, before we move on, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review. And if you DM us a screenshot, we will not only read it on the show, but we'll send you some Amazing Nerd Show swag. Also, don't forget to follow us at Amazing Nerd Show. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. Warning, potential spoilers for upcoming shows and movies ahead. Check timestamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned. All right, up first, we have Hugh Jackman sitting down in an interview, making teases for his role or roles in the upcoming Deadpool 3 film. While in France doing an interview with La Parisienne, Hugh Jackman described his part in Deadpool 3 as a dual role, which suggests that he could be playing more than one version of Wolverine in the film. As rumored, Deadpool 3 is said to be a multiversal journey, so it makes sense that we could be seeing multiple variants of you know characters such as Logan. Jackman also said that that filming was set to begin this summer. Deadpool 3 is set for release November 8th, 2024. Hell yeah, give me all the Wolverines, Christian. Like, I want, like, Age of Apocalypse Wolverine. I want Days of Future Past Wolverine. Give me fucking Patch. I mean, you could give me Old Man Logan. You could give me all the fucking Wolverines. Why the hell not? You know, but all I want, though, the one Wolverine I want is Wolverine in a fucking suit. <laughs> yes. I demand it. I want to see the mask. I, I, give me the brown and give me the yellow. God damn it. You know? Um, but yeah, no, I, it, it all makes sense. I mean, it is a multiverse story. So, I mean, they've got plenty of wiggle room to play with. Um, and I'm sure since it's a Deadpool film that they're going to have a lot of fun with yeah, it. Yeah, I feel like if any, if they were ever going to pull the trigger on finally doing the suit, it would have to be this film, right? Absolutely, 100%. Unless, for some reason, the MCU wants to save that for, like, their Wolverine proper. Um, but I don't know, man. I mean, fans have been clamoring for mm -hmm. it for so long now. I mean, come on now. I mean, Marvel's all about the fan service. I mean, Kevin Foggy's all about the fan service, and this is the kind of fan service I want. 
Well, up next, we've got some big rumors about the upcoming Avengers Kang Dynasty film. In an interview with comicbook.com writer on Kang Dynasty, Jeff Loveness exclaimed his excitement to work on a character like Namor for the upcoming film, which seems to confirm that this character will be returning in the next Avengers event. On top of that, stunt coordinator Aaron Tony from Wakanda Forever stated that his injury will be healed in time for shooting on Kang Dynasty and that we will be seeing Namor in full action in the film. Film. Jeff Loveness also slightly alluded this week to some of the MCU's Disney Plus heroes making their way to Kang Dynasty in an interview with Polygon, as he wished all the luck to characters like Hawkeye against an enemy like Kang. He also stated he believes Daredevil and Moon Knight would be great against the Kang variants as well. While that may not confirm their parts in the film, it seems like a casual wink to the fans on some of the Avengers set to appear. So going by what he says in this interview, I mean, Namor definitely feels like a lock but i don't know i mean it, it, the line about hawkeye and moon knight and daredevil might have been just like a throwaway line uh -huh. you know trying to you know make a joke or i don't know i, I that might be a bit of a stretch yeah I, I don't see that as like confirmation at all that they're in you know kang dynasty like i'd love to see them and everything and we know kang is going to be popping up in other films at least that's what the rumor is i mean we just heard i believe last week that you know shang chi might be going up against uh kang so in his sequel um you know and i mean the title alone kang dynasty makes me feel like we're dealing with an mcu where like kang has won and maybe the heroes do have to like unite to you know take him down um but at the same time, it might be much to do about nothing. You know, the whole like Daredevil Moon Knight, you know, portion of the interview. <laughs> um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't pop up in like Secret Wars. I could see that. But I get worried when they start talking about like, you know, dozens of heroes showing up in a film. You know, like, are they biting off more than they can chew? Mm -hmm. Um you know, can you tell their stories, like their individual stories properly uh, to make sense of it all? I mean, they pulled it off in Endgame and Infinity War. So who's to say, right? I just can't imagine them having a big focus on like Daredevil fighting Kang in, you know, the next Avengers film. Like I could see, you know, a background moment somewhere in the film, but well, I can't I mean, imagine. Maybe it's a case where they have to recruit all the heroes that they uh -huh. can, you know. And it's, you know, he's there, but he doesn't play, like, a major role, which is fine, you know? Like, but I just don't want it to be a case where, you know, it's, like, Wong, you know, just opening up giant, you know, portals and, and multiple heroes, you know, just pour out. Um, I, I hope there's a little more story to it. And mm. that's not me throwing shade at that moment in Endgame, because I popped louder than anyone in the theater, trust me. <laughs> but we've already seen that, and, and like mm -hmm. that made sense for that movie. But you can't pull off that, you know, magic trick more than once. It's not going to have the same, like, impact. Also, Christian, before we move on, there's uh, reports that Doctor Strange could be playing a major villain in the King Dynasty film. Perhaps, oh. like, by the time that film comes out, like, he's been fully corrupted by the Darkhold. But he would be working for King? I... They have no idea. They just said major antagonist. So <laughs> <laughs> he's not working with the heroes. That's all we know. Well, I'd be down to see that. That'd be interesting. You know, maybe like whatever he has to do to stop that incursion, we see him race off to like face, like just weakens him to the point where, you know, the dark hold takes full control over, over him. 
and maybe that's when Scarlet Witch returns to break him free of his hold on the look at that man we're just booking this whole fucking phase <laughs> Kevin Foggy give us a call come on I deserve a paycheck uh-huh. <laughs> alright we'll move it on we've got more Wonder Man casting news the German director and actor Werner Herzog who recently appeared for Disney in the first season of The Mandalorian may be getting a role in the MCU according to insider Daniel Richmond apparently Herzog had a meeting with Marvel Studios execs for him to get a potential role in the Wonder Man series that is in development no word on what kind of role has been released just yet by Marvel but this seems to be another great addition to this show being led by Yaha Abdul-Mateen Well, it also looks like we've got some possible casting news for the upcoming Across the Spider-Verse film. This rumor sprung up from Jeff Snyder's The Hot Mike show that one of the many reasons Across the Spider-Verse was delayed was to be able to get Tom Holland on to voice one of the many Spider-Men that are taking part in this film. On top of that, their sources claim there's a chance that one of the universes Miles could pop up in would be a live-action dimension with Tom Holland in it. Holland expressed interest in taking part part in the Spider-Verse films, but it's unclear if he's actually able to, as I'm sure there's probably a ton of politics around, you know, what uh, the MCU Spider-Man can do alongside Sony's projects. So while all that sounds cool, um, I have a feeling this is probably just a quick little cameo by Tom, you know, voicing an animated, you know, MCU Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine them going like who framed Roger Rabbit here and, you know, Miles popping up in the MCU. Unless like it's I guess he'll be in will he be in live action form then? I don't know cuz that's what I was wondering. Would he pop up as live action cuz I feel like he, especially what we've seen so far, every universe he's in, he's that style, you know? Yeah. Of art. Yeah. Yeah, so I feel like it would be a who framed Roger Rabbit you know, type deal. So I, I don't know. Although if the rumors are true and like the reason why the film was delayed was because of Tom Holland, that would lead you to believe that it is a bigger role, but that's if the rumors are true. Mm. I just feel like if Tom Holland was actually involved in any kind of major way, we would have found out by now, um, you know, probably from him. Exactly. I was going to say Holland probably would have posted by now. Oh yeah. I'm enjoying my time on cross the spider verse. (laughs) (laughs) Also, some quick Marvel notes. Uh, These are stories that actually literally are dropping as we speak. Apparently, there's a report out there that Sydney Sweeney will be playing Jennifer Carpenter's Spider-Woman. That's the second Spider-Woman in the upcoming Madam Web film. Uh, I I don't know. I'm kind of surprised by that because it feels like um, Dakota Johnson's version of Madam Web is kind of a hybrid between... Cassandra Webb and, you know, Jennifer Carpenter's version of Madame Webb, Um, you know, because in the comics, after Cassandra dies, she passes over the mantle to Jennifer Carpenter's character and she becomes the new Madame Webb. Um, You know, just stylistically and everything, the look that they're going with the character, and that's solely based on from what we've seen, the look of, you know, uh, Madame Webb in the film because she looks exactly like Jennifer Carpenter's version of Madame Web in the comic book. I know that's a lot to unpack. I apologize, but <laughs> so um I I really feel like the Jennifer Carpenter character is underrated, especially in the comic book. So I mean it, it's cool that she's gonna like make her like cinematic debut. Um 
but it's still a Sony film, so I'm not exactly. too excited in the asterisk. long run, right? <laughs> <laughs> also, it looks more likely that Steven Yoon will be playing Sentry in the upcoming Thunderbolts film, okay. uh, which was also something we and you know most of the internet was speculating on. You know, last week. From Invincible to Sentry. I see it. I see it. All right. Well, moving on to some Star Wars news. It looks like we have some new directors added to the upcoming Acolyte series. Two directors have been put on to helm the Acolyte series coming to Disney+. Kaganata, who directed 2021's After Yang and more recently the Pachinko series, along with Alex Garcia Lopez, who directed episodes for a bunch of the Netflix Marvel shows, including Daredevil, along with more recent shows like The Witcher and Cowboy Bebop, are the two being added to this series. Um, Lopez is also highly praised for his 11-minute one-shot fight sequence in Daredevil Season 3, so that's exciting to have a director known for you know filming these big one-shot moments like that, part of a Sith series. But the two of them are set on to direct episodes alongside the creator, Leslie Headland. Um, discussing film also stated that the principal photography for the series has begun in the UK. Nothing gives me a bigger nerdgasm than daredevil fighting in a hallway christian yes so i'm all for this um <laughs> this comes out in 2024 correct as yes as far as we are aware okay yeah been who knows yet. nowadays right uh. <laughs> um yeah I, I gotta go back and watch the netflix daredevil i want to at least do that before like you know daredevil uh, born again comes out exactly because man like for loving that show as much as i did like i haven't watched it in a long time uh but you know, part of the problem is there's just so, so much, much like yeah. current content coming out. It's hard to go back and revisit shows like that. Well, moving on to the world of horror, we've got some Exorcist reboot casting news. Looks like Jennifer Nettles of Righteous Gemstones fame has been added to David Gordon Green's sequel to The Exorcist. She is believed to be playing a primary role in the film, according to Variety at least. Um, she joins the cast of Anne Dowd, Lydia Jewett, Raphael Sabarge, and Olivia Markham. Christian, they could cast Jack Nicholson and Sam fucking Jackson, and I could still give a damn about this movie. <laughs> Let's move on. Well, Bazuzu saying motherfucker would be hilarious, though. <laughs> anyway, uh, we also have some casting news for the upcoming Fede Alvarez-led alien film. Deadline gave an update on Fede Alvarez's original Alien project, as now Isabella Merced of Rosaline and Dora the Explorer fame joins the cast. Um, she joins Kaylee Spaney from The Craft Legacy, who is said to be leading the film. So while we haven't been a fan of, you know, the most recent things Fede Alvarez produced, um, I'm looking at Utex Chainsaw Massacre and Don't Breathe 2. Uh, I am excited about him directing an alien film since it's actually him sitting in the director's chair. And I will say that the Dora film wasn't half bad. So okay. <laughs> I'll just leave that out there. <laughs> I, I went and saw it with my daughter and she loved it and it was pretty entertaining. All right. I'll take your word. Uh, it didn't look. <laughs> maybe, maybe it'll be a Patreon exclusive. Well, sure. <laughs> I mean, it's a couple years old at this point, but we had a good time. I don't know. Yeah. Better late than never, right? Ah, uh -huh, there you go. All right, Christian. After a grueling two year wait, the time has finally arrived. Let's go ahead and break down episode one of season three of The Mandalorian. I don't know why everyone keeps saying two year wait. I mean, we had season 2.5. 
That is true. That is true. Whatever. <laughs> We're all spoiled brats at this point, Christian. Shut up. And now for the nerds breakdown of the Mandalorian episode one. Spoilers ahead. But I have some matters to look after. Well, I'm confused. I thought you had completed your mission, but you're still running around here with the same little critter. It's complicated. We return to the Mandalorian to see the armorer clanking away at a new, noticeably smaller mask for a foundling. On the beach outside, surrounded by the clan, this young boy is to recite the way of the watch as guided by the armorer. But soon after putting on the helmet, a giant sea monster tries to eat the boy for lunch. So I'm not gonna lie, like, I totally thought this kid who was getting, like, baptized into, like, you know, the children of the watch was like Din Djurin. I thought this was like a whole flashback scene we're getting. Like, I know Paz Vizsla was sitting there, but like, I mean, they're all wearing masks. We have no idea how old uh -huh. these people are. So by the end of the scene, I was completely like taken off guard. This leads to a swarm of Mandalorians attempting to slay the beast. But even the likes of the armor and Paz Vizsla aren't enough to, you know, stop this beast. Lucky for them, Din Djarin comes swooping in on his N1 fighter, blasting through the belly of the beast. And a good thing too, like I know that the Mandalorians are all like highly trained warriors, but they look like they're all about to get eaten. So yeah. <laughs> honestly, I was surprised to see how many there still are after like how many times, you know, he's gotten his clan either killed or on the run from yes, everyone. There's that one scene at the end or towards the end of season one where we see all their armor in the cave. And yeah. it looks like that entire sect was wiped out. Um, but I don't know, they keep on popping up, so <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, it looks like they're just kind of like spread across the galaxy. And do like, is the, the armorer like officially like the high like priestess of like the clan? Yeah, I assume I because I they haven't shown any other you know priestess type figure in this clan so far. Yeah, in the there's no like authoritative figures, it seems like mm -hmm. it seems like they all answer to her. But I mean, who knows? We're, we're making a lot of assumptions because they really haven't like given us a full look on like how this like, you know, cult for, you know, lack of a better term operates. We then get a kind of redo of the last time we saw Din Djarin and the armor speaking together as she claims redemption is just no longer viable for Mando as their home world has been poisoned. In order to get redemption for removing his helmet in season two, Din Djarin must travel to Mandalore and bathe in the water of the mines. But after the Night of a Thousand Tears on Mandalore, it's unlikely any such waters remain. However, Mando produces a crystal from the planet that he got from a Jawa trader who claims a traveler traded it with them, giving credence to the idea that Mandalore may not be as toxic as they currently believe. You must purify yourself in the Lake of Minnetonka. I, I always get like strong. <laughs> <laughs> like purple raid vibes whenever they talk about him bathing in the waters of Mandalore. Um, this is some cold-hearted shit. Like he just saved all of your asses and she's not even gonna say like thank you. Nope. You know? <laughs> she's just like, no, you don't belong here. Get the hell out. Um I don't know, man. I, I don't know what Mando sees in these guys. I mean, I know that they saved him and everything, and but <laughs> If I was I, if I was him, I'd be over it at this point. So he was like just like trading with the Jawas and he came across this crystal from Mandalore. I guess so. 
just happened to notice it. Okay. So do we feel like this could be like a trap or something? Like they're setting up like Din here? That's possible because you never know. It could be um, like someone who worked with like Moff or something like that. Moff Gideon. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's a bit of a stretch, but I don't know. It just feels so random to, like, come across something like that. You know? Well, that was my first thought when they're like, you know, a traveler trade. It was like, hmm, are we going to find out who this traveler is? Is this going to be a story arc at some point? But yeah, I, I could see that. That's a that's a possibility. Um, I mean, it's going to be a hell of a visual, like, seeing Mandalore completely, like, you know, crystallized. Because that's what they're pretty much saying here, mm -hmm. right? Because of all the bombings. Um, I don't know, though. Like, I, I still have a feeling that it's all bullshit and the planet's probably fine. He's going to, like, fly through a hologram and it's just perfect underneath. It's going to be like how Wakanda is. That would be a, <laughs> a huge fucking hologram. Uh -huh. um, or maybe it's something fucked up where, like, the armorer actually knows that there's nothing oh. wrong with Mandalore. Um, who knows? With hope of succeeding, Mando and Grogu set off to find help for their trip to Mandalore. But while in hyperspace, Grogu happens to spot space whales known as, you know, the Purgle traveling along with them. Purgle were last seen in Star Wars Rebels, where they aided Ezra and Thrawn in traveling near the series' end. Yeah, I totally forgot about the space whales from Rebels. That was one of my least favorite uh, episodes <laughs> of the series. So I didn't like totally geek out over this. I know a lot of people were. Because um, at first I was like, what the fuck is he looking at? I was like, oh, it's the fucking whales. Um, but I am excited for the idea of maybe this leads to like an Ezra appearance mm -hmm. or at least an Ahsoka appearance of some sort. I mean, um, it feels like they're trying to you know set you up for that. That, yes, I, I, they're at least foreshadowing it. Mm -hmm. So, um, and as we've seen, like, Favreau's not scared to intertwine all these stories. Uh, and what a great way to set up, you know, the first season of Ahsoka, you know, by having them, you know, make an appearance, you know, a brief appearance in season three of, you know, The Mandalorian. Looking at you, Sabine. Mando and Grogu's first stop brings them to Navarro 7, which has been thoroughly cleaned up since the last time these two stepped foot on it, and even has a statue commemorating their good friend IG-11 from Season 1. Here they meet up with Grief Karga, who is now running this city, and is looking to make it one of the best free trade places in the Outer Rim outside of New Republic control, and because of that, he seems to be a tad bit desperate to have someone as skillful as Din Djarin here as Marshall. So yeah, I mean, this felt a little jarring, but then I heard that Favreau did an interview where he said that two years have actually passed since season uh, two of The Mandalorian. So I guess it all adds up. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess that means Grogu was training with Luke much longer than it felt like in Book of Boba Fett. And I guess in like the Mandalorian episodes of, you know, that season, like Mando has gone back to like bounty hunting and everything. So, I mean, I guess that makes sense in a way, but it, it definitely didn't feel like, oh, Grogu's been, you know, training with Luke for a long period of time or anything. No, um, like six months tops. And know? it doesn't <laughs> even feel like that's alluded to at all. No. So, um, because to me, it felt like they just started their lessons, but, but I guess that's just weird, like Star Wars time. Because also in, like, Empire Strikes Back, it feels like Luke is on, like, Dagobah for, like, a couple days tops. But apparently he was there long enough to, like, become a Jedi Master. Uh-huh. So. 
<laughs> Even though at the end of the film, like, Yoda tells him that he's not ready, but, you know, whatever. He shows up all dressed in black, ready to go, at the, you know, in the beginning of Return of the Jedi, so... Fuck Yoda, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I am a Jedi Master. <laughs> I'm not my dad. I'm not taking no for an answer, goddammit. There's rumors that Return's coming to theaters this year. From well, the it's anniversary. The 40th. Yeah. yeah, it's the 40th, so... Hey, I'll go see it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mando goes on to turn down Karga's offer for, you know, a place to retire here. But as he does so, their meeting gets interrupted by the sudden arrival of the Pirate King Gorion's goons, who for some reason are trying to go to an old saloon that has now been turned into a school under Karga's rule. The pirates attempt to push Karga around and make him still serve them alcohol here at the school. But Karga puts his foot down, which leads to a standoff between him and the leader. Karga gets the quick draw on their leader, but the rest of the goons still attempt to fight back, only to get gunned down by Karga and Mando who decide to send their leader back to the Pirate King as a warning. Christian, you totally skipped over one of the most important parts of this entire episode. Oh yeah? Grief Karga is such a badass, he has cape droids. <laughs> Come on, man, how fucking awesome was that? <laughs> Katie was literally saying, you have to mention the cape droids on the show, like, literally before we started recording. So I'm glad you did it. How could we not? That was awesome. Uh -huh. uh, I love this scene. It's just a, you know, a good reminder that, you know, this is a space western. Even the way, like, Mando was leaning on the tree with, like, you know, his Doc Holiday swagger. Like, I loved all this. So I'm also wondering if this is going to be, like, an ongoing story thread throughout the season with like, you know, Mando dealing with these pirates. Um, but we'll talk more about that in a little bit. Mando then tries to get down to business as he came here to bring an old friend with him on his journey. He then has Karga take down the statue of IG-11 as half of the actual torso was used for the statue. To Karga's disbelief, Mando thinks he can resurrect IG-11 as that's the only droid he actually trusts. His first attempt doesn't go quite as planned though as after powering up IG-11, it seems his original programming to terminate growth kicked right back in. Karga's droid would get the upper hand on IG-11 though when dropping a bust onto the murderous droid. So I get like, you know, Mando has issues trusting droids and IG-11 is like the only droid he's ever trusted in his entire life. But this does feel a little convoluted. It also uh. makes Mando seem like a huge jerk. Like if he <laughs> thought there was a possibility of him being able to like resurrect, you know, IG-11, like he only waits to do it until, like, he needs something. <laughs> it's kind of shitty, but, you know, whatever. Um, but regardless, I'll be happy to see IG-11, you know, back at the end of the day. So it is what it is. So they're going to leave the statue like that, just with one arm hanging up in the air and no, yeah. no real body attached. <laughs> I mean, listen, this is a guy with, you know, cape droids once again. So I'm sure he'll just go ahead and like put up a replica of IG-11. Mm. Doesn't sound like there's nothing that Grief Karga can't like handle, Christian. Cape droids, my friend. 
cape droids. Karga then suggests bringing IG-11 to the Anzellans living on Navarro, which is a race we first saw in Rise of Skywalker as Babu Frick worked on C-3PO. Here though, they don't have as much luck bringing back IG-11. Apparently his memory core has been completely damaged and ultimately needs to be replaced. While the Anzellans, you know, attempt to bring Mando to his senses and just get a new droid, Din Djarin simply claims he will go out and find these parts to bring back IG-11. So is this how Palimato is going to show up in Most this season? Likely. Like he's going to go to her to get this like, you know, part. Yeah, she's um, going to be like the Jawas have a connection and then we have it. Great. <laughs> I, I, would, I hope it's at least quick. I don't want yes. there to be like three episodes of him Sh trying to fix IG-11. Yes, I don't want them to waste too much time on this like, you know, thread. Uh. Um, and as long as it's a small dose of, you know, Palimato, I'm okay with it. I just don't need her in multiple episodes. Because for at least me, she just overstays her welcome sometimes. Making their way off Navarro 7, Mando runs into a swarm of pirates upset with him and Karga's actions in killing their men. However, Mando's N1 Starfighter was designed just for these types of encounters as he expertly dispatches more pirates through the asteroid field. In the end, Mando would find himself outclassed weapon-wise when he runs into the Pirate King ship. But with the use of his sublight speed engines, he's able to zoom past this ship without their turrets being able to hold onto their lock. I, I thought this was an awesome scene. I mean, Favreau found a way in like 30 minutes to give us like a full like Star Wars buffet. Like we got everything this episode. You know, the Western feel, the pirate feel. I mean, we're getting like blaster shootouts and now we're getting like a space chase. So for an episode that was actually the shortest of the entire series so far. I feel like they didn't waste a second. Did you have an issue with the look of the captain? Because a lot of people were complaining about it online. I didn't have an issue. It just felt like, you know, if Davy Jones from Pirates of the Caribbean had a child with Swamp Thing. Yeah, that's, that's the first. <laughs> that's literally the first thing I thought about. Uh -huh. <laughs> I was like, wow, this really feels like Pirates of the Caribbean here. Um, I thought I thought he looked cool. Honestly, so I was I was fine with it. I had no issue. It's it's. I feel like it's a smaller bit part, so it's not going to be a big issue. I I do feel like he's probably going to pop up again. Um, but I mean, we've seen a lot worse character designs, in uh -huh. so give me a break. Like it's nowhere as lame as like the mods from Book of Boba Fett. Mando and Grogu then make their way to Calavella, which is another Mandalorian-controlled planet, which houses a Mandalorian castle. Inside sits an angry Bo-Katan, who Din Djarin attempts to join up with as he knows her plan is to reclaim Mandalore. However, after losing the Darksaber to Din Djarin, the rest of Bo-Katan's followers have decided to become mercenaries instead of staying by her side. She begrudgingly suggests that Mando just bring them all back together with the Darksaber and command them they will only listen to him. While she claims to not believe in the superstitions of Din Djarin's cult, the traditions of Mandalore still seem to haunt her as she goes back and forth on her own ideals. Nevertheless, she gives Mando the exact location of the mines, knowing he will go there either way. And Din Djarin, recognizing that he probably won't get any actual help from Bo-Katan, goes on his way as our episode comes to a close. First of all, what do you think her day looks like? Like she wakes up and just puts the armor on and then sits on that throne for the entire day, like doing nothing, just like stewing, you know, <laughs> brooding and thinking about how much she hates Dinjarin. Because there seems like there's nothing else happening in that fucking castle, right? Uh -huh. Just a whole lot of angst. Um, 
I know this kind of like foreshadows her as being perhaps like the villain of this season, um, but I'm not buying it for a second. I mean, I think they'll come to odds at some point and, you know, maybe she's setting him up. But once again, like a lot of people think, I I'm guessing that we're going to find out that Mandalore is not like inhabitable. And by like the end of the season, we're going to see, you know, didn't like have to like reunite all the clans to, you know, take the planet back. Um, you know, whether that's going to be against, you know, the remnants of the Empire or some other force, who knows. But it just feels like that's where, you know, this story is going. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't see her becoming a villain for this. I see, like, like you said, they could fight a little bit, but I, it, she's going to learn the error of her ways and quickly join up with him against a, probably a bigger bad. And I mean, Mando doesn't even want the damn dark saber exactly. in the first place. <laughs> it, it makes me laugh how much she's like following this tradition, but mocks him and his cultist beliefs every chance she can like gets. Do you feel like that's all a facade? Because she was the one holding the dark saber at the time when the downfall of Mandalore happened, and she didn't come into possession the like ritualistic you know, proper way to receive the Darksaber, which is through battle. And I believe the lore says, like, if that happens, you bring a curse upon, you know, Mandalore. Mm -hmm. So now she's actually scared to just, you know, have him hand over the Darksaber to her. You know, like, because it does feel like she's talking out of both sides of her mouth. I agree 100%. Or, like, is it more of a case of, like, people who are afraid to follow her because of what happened. Did that make people believe in the, you know, legend? And because Din got in her way and all the superstition around the saber and after everything that happened, mm -hmm. like, she knows that her people won't follow her. I mean, I definitely feel like it's gotten into her head because everything that went wrong and was predicted is exactly what happened. Yeah. Uh, but... You know, you never know, like, how he's going to bring all these people together. And if he's able to convert everyone to his religion using the Darksaber, that'd be pretty crazy. I have a feeling he's going to see that he needs to do that. And, you know, the children of the Watch are going to oppose that. And then he's going to end up seeing, you know, them for what they are, which is a fucking cult. Um, and, like, all that resentment that he has to have. And I know he hasn't shown any signs of it, but, like... The fact that he didn't even know that there were other Mandalorians out there who uh. didn't follow the creed the way that they do. Uh, there's got, I mean, come on. Like, he has to have some resentment towards them. But I, I feel like that's going to be the way he breaks, you know, from the watch and end up leading the Mandalorians and retaking Mandalore. He's going to end the season saying, this is my way. There we go. <laughs> I love it, Christian. <laughs> Please don't do that. <laughs> no, that would be pretty lame. <laughs> Hopefully John Favreau's not listening. <laughs> like, I feel like that's more of a, a two-season arc type deal. Um, but I do feel like that's kind of the direction we're headed in. But as you said earlier, you know, um, for this being such a short episode compared to everything that we've gotten with The Mandalore so far, with The Mandalorian so far, I'm just saying, like, and this is what I'm talking about when a lot of these 30 minute shows barely give me anything. I'm like, this show 
just put in just about everything that you would want out of the Mandalorian in 30 minutes. It, it was exactly what you needed to get back into it. really it. felt like Favreau saying, hey, you remember why you love Star Wars? Because we do. Yes. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, he, he really did, like, give us everything. And I really felt like the episode did a great job of just, like, setting the table for this new season. Um, and that's exactly what it was supposed to do. So I was totally fine with it. But with that being said, make sure to join us next week as we break down episode two of season three of The Mandalorian. And now for the nerds review of Cocaine Bear. Mild spoilers ahead. And now our feature presentation. Apex Predator. High on cocaine. Out of his mind. Oh man, you fucked. What the fuck is wrong with that bear? Shoot it, man! An oddball group of cops, criminals, tourists, and teens converge on a Georgia forest where a huge black bear goes on a murderous rampage after unintentionally ingesting cocaine. Cocaine Bear is directed by Elizabeth Banks and stars Ray Liotta, Carrie Russell, and O'Shea Jackson. While some of Elizabeth Banks' more recent films have been kind of hit or miss under her direction, I think she really hit her stride here in Cocaine Bear that delivers on what you, the audience, expect from a film about a coked out bear attacking people. It was simple, dumb, fun, and while there were a couple performances that I felt fell flat, they weren't around long enough to make an overall impact on the film. However, our main cast of Carrie Russell, Alden Elric, and um, O'Shea Jackson did a great job in their roles. I do feel like uh, we could have spent a little bit more time with Carrie Russell and her you know, daughter who was played by uh, Brooklyn Prince, as I would have liked to have seen maybe her daughter go through some more trials and tribulations in this film to build up tension for how Carrie Russell is like out there searching for her daughter in this forest that has a murderous bear. But all in all, I, you know, I came here to see a bear fuck people up, and that's exactly what I got. So I have no major complaints story-wise, though that first act was a little shaky. I think the rest of the film, though, as soon as we get things really going you know works very well the only thing that really did bother me at certain points was the cgi um there's some pretty weak moments here and there i'm sure it was cost effective to do most of everything in cgi but i do wish they had used more practical effects for some of their kill scenes you know when the cgi worked its best was kind of during the faster kill moments but when they have you know these victims that are dying very slowly from the bear the CGI becomes way more noticeable and their attempts to hide the effects, you know, led to some poor shot choices in general as well. But that's mostly my biggest complaint for the film. I'm not saying that they needed to hire and train a bear for this, but I know there's probably better ways to execute and blend practical and CGI effects that would have made for more horrific scenes. But that being said, I'm, you know, I left the theater grinning from just how fun the movie was. So I'm going to be giving Cocaine Bear a solid B. And I definitely feel like Eldon uh, Enric was uh, the breakout star from this film. Uh, his whole storyline about his dead girlfriend uh, was hilarious and fun to watch. And I think that, you know, he deserves some bigger roles out there. I hope uh, Solo hasn't stained his career. And now for the nerds review of episode seven of The Last of Us. Spoilers ahead. Did you really leave because you actually think you could liberate this place? Don't say it like it's some type of fantasy, Ellie. They've done it in the other QZs. Set things right the way they used to be. 
Yeah, we could do that too. If you come back, I mean, we're, we're like the future. You know, we could make things better. We could be running things. You could be running things. I turn 17 next month. That's when you get your assignment. You know what Kwan gave me? Sewage detail. So this week, we got this post-apocalyptic John Hughes film of sorts. Uh, we start off with a stabbed and dying Joel telling Ellie to leave him. And as Ellie reaches for the door, we then flash back to just a sad but beautiful love story. Uh, we witness Ellie's final days in a federal military school before her best friend Riley comes back after running away and joining the Fireflies to take Ellie on an adventure to an abandoned mall. Now, one of my favorite things this episode is like once we reach the mall, uh, we get to watch Ellie just like marvel at you know, simple modern conveniences that we really take for granted, like an escalator. Uh, it just really served as a reminder of what kind of world she grew up in. And as we start to like realize what this excursion is all about and that it's Riley trying to say goodbye to Ellie, I also thought they did a really great job of exploring the differing like philosophies between Fedra and the Fireflies, as like Ellie questions Riley's decision to join the group. Um, all the while, like you feel like the tension grow between the two and you realize that, you know, they have feelings for each other and just don't know how to express them. Um, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I found myself cheering them on, even though there was just this <laughs> overwhelming sense of dread, like washing over me at the same time, like knowing that, it's all going to end horribly. Um, and, like, that's exactly what happens. Uh, they're both bitten right as they finally confess their feelings and share their first kiss. Because, you know, that's what this show fucking does to, you know, the audience. And we're just left with the idea that, like, Ellie's first kill, you know, that she told Joel about was probably Riley. Um, you know, as they decide to spend, like, the very last second they can together. Uh, just, I mean, once again, uh, some heartbreaking shit. Uh, but of course, like, beautifully executed. Bella Ramsey and Storm Reid do an amazing job here, and I just love that this story really, you know, informed us on who Ellie is and why, at the end of the episode, she refuses to leave Joel and instead decides to fight for his survival. I mean, you get the through line from the get go with, uh, you know, them just pretty much putting the two options in front of her. You know, every like other scene she's in, you know, she has two choices and it really plays into like why she does choose to stay there with Joel and go against his wishes um, by the end of the episode. I thought that was really well handled. Um, it's definitely, you know, since this is a DLC story in the game, it's, you know, very removed from what's going on in the um, actual storyline at that point, you know, and especially in the um, that point of the game that we're at, at the sh in the show where Joel is injured and stuff like that. They do have a similar mechanic in the game and the next which, that, which will be more featured in the next episode where we're going to be following um, Ellie a little bit more without saying anything to spoil what's going to happen. But I'm just saying, you know, they could have just easily gone straight into that, but instead they decided to you know give you some more of the backstory, give you I, you know. And I, in fairness, I mean story-wise, 
I think that's pretty obvious that, you know, it's going to be Ellie as Joel's like recovering. Uh Um, And we I mean, I'm pretty sure everyone's seen the trailer at this point. So I feel like that's a fine spoiler. (laughs) (laughs) So I felt like this flashback just fit so seamlessly for the point they're at, you know, in the story. And like I said, it, it gives you kind of that background to like, you know, show you like who Ellie is as mm-hmm. a person and, you know, why she's the way she is. Um, so are you so you're saying that's not the case in the video game, though, that this is just a total like separate side game and like this doesn't like pop up at all, like during the main game? No, no, no. Yeah, it's DLC. So it came out months, maybe I, I... I don't know how many months, but it was months after the original release. So they just gave it to you as like a flashback, like mission. Exactly. I mean, you you have to understand they strip all the, like this episode stripped all the game elements out. You don't have any of the yeah. stealth into the the mall and stuff like that. So I mean, what what it what it grind down to though works exactly for where they were where they're at in the show yeah that's um, what i'm saying especially it. after last week's episode getting that even more emotional connection of them uh you know with how she you know pushed joel away and said you're the only person you know that hasn't died on me and stuff like that which is pretty much the one of the biggest scenes of the game that leads into the rest of the story so i mean it this helps solidify that even further and i thought it was a really smart choice i do wish there was a couple more episodes i feel like after this but uh because i now that i realize where we're at i think there might be you know they're gonna have to push a little bit harder but uh yeah and that's if you know we what we hear is true and that you know this first season is the first game in Mm -hmm. its entirety um, you know, unless they also just throw us a curveball of some sort. But I agree 100%. Like, I felt like this just added a lot more context to mm-hmm. where they're at in the story. And it, was, and it was just a real nice wrinkle that they used that, you know, huge moment in Ellie's life to kind of explain her choice at the end of the episode. You know, I'm still waiting for um, Storm Reed to get like a big, uh, you know, lead role because she's always doing such a great job in these supporting um, actress roles. Um, she's, you know, the sister in Euphoria and a couple other big series that she's been. But besides like a wrinkle in time, uh, she hasn't really been the lead in a long time. Uh, I did not like a wrinkle in time. That was a bad movie. <laughs> and that had a lot of hype around it, right? I know. Yeah. Was that was did Oprah? I think it was pro- Oprah. Yeah, yeah produced it was, it. It was Oprah's big movie. Yeah. No, I haven't seen her much, but I thought she was fantastic here. Mm-hmm. So, um I mean, she did a lot with a little and made you really, like, care about her character. Mm-hmm. So since you know where the story's headed, are you at all nervous with only, like, two episodes left now? Like, you know, are you worried that it's going to feel rushed and they won't be able to, like, stick the landing? Unless, you know, like I said, they, you know, throw us a curveball. I guess I just figured... Um there might be a little bit more time the next two story parts that they're going to do. Cause, Cause yeah, I mean, it really is only two more episodes. And then, I mean, if they're going based off of, you know, the end, the actual ending of the first game, um, and knowing that, like we looked up the run times off mic uh, the other day, and I'm like knowing that there's also both of these episodes are shorter yes. than everything else that we've gotten. It's just like, hmm, you know, because I would feel like that last episode would be over an hour. Yeah, but you know, kind of like the first, you know, the premiere episode where it was like yeah. an hour and a half. It was basically, you know, a feature film, um, but it was only like 45 minutes or something. So exactly, I don't know, man. I fucking Marvel 
has done that to us in the past where we're like, oh, well, you know, the, the, the finale is going to be huge. I'm sure it's going to be extra long. And then ends up being the shortest episode of the entire yeah. season. So, um, yeah, not a trend that I'd like to see, like, continuing here, but it is what it is, I guess. Um, we'll see what happens. I mean, from everything that's been implied in interviews and stuff, like, this season is supposed to be the first game. So if that's the mm. case, I guess we just got to trust that the, the writers knew what they were doing and they've got enough show left to tell the story that they want to tell. I mean, it was a fantastic moment in gaming, so I'm excited to see what the general public feels about the end. So that's why I'm excited to get there. Well, with that being said, make sure to join us next week as we review the next episode of The Last of Us. And now a quick word from our sponsor, Manscaped. This is a public service announcement. Manscaped now has beer products and is going even further with their brand new Weed Whacker 2.0. Go ahead and tell the world the leaders in below the waist grooming are traveling north of your South Pole with their revolutionary grooming products. The new Weed Whacker 2.0 and their new beard line confirms they have all the best tools for your hygiene toolbox. Time for you to upgrade your game by going to manscaped.com and using our code 20NERDSHOW for 20% off plus free shipping. Listeners know that there's no one I trust more with my nutsack than Manscaped. So why not trust them with my beard also? So allow me to introduce you to the Beard Hedger Pro Kit. It's the ultimate package that makes it easier than ever to craft your signature look. It all starts with the cordless electric beard hedger. The beard hedger is tough on hair, but smooth on your face, leading to single stroke efficiency that brings satisfaction one stroke at a time, just like your mother. <laughs> this waterproof cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths, all with one guard, so no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. The Pro Kit also comes with four dermatologist tested formulations for your post-trim care. This includes Manscaped's beard shampoo and conditioner, beard oil, and beard balm to moisturize, style, and shimmer your new beard. Plus, the kit has three gifts, a beard brush, a comb, and scissors. So with a nice beard, your face is perfectly groomed, right? Wrong! You need to keep an eye out for those tough-to-trim ear and nose hairs. The brand new Weed Whacker 2.0 offers improved blades and skin-safe technology with virtually no tugging. It's never been so painless to mind your manhole. Now that you have your face looking great, you must try Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0 for the full body grooming experience. Good news though, the Performance Package 4.0 now comes with the Weed Whacker 2.0 and all the other below the waist grooming products Manscaped is known for. Your significant other will be delighted to see you covering all bases, if you know what I mean. So listeners, get 20% off and free shipping with our code 20NerdShow at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and make sure to use our code 20NerdShow. Always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. So it's been a pretty eventful few months for Xbox and Microsoft as we have been following everything going down with the Activision Blizzard purchase. Sony and regulators across the UK, EU, and US have been going after this merger with 
everything they have to prevent a potential monopoly. Recently, it has seemed Microsoft has been kind of preparing for their deal to be blocked in general. As in interviews, Phil Spencer has claimed Xbox will be fine with or without this purchase actually going through. But recent events may be looking more in their favor as according to sources over at Reuters.com, Microsoft may be getting support from the European Commission soon enough. But their biggest opposition still looming around. Um, you know, throughout all of this, it has really been Sony trying to push for this to be stopped as they seem dead focused on making sure the Call of Duty um, franchise remains a third party game available on all systems. They have been you know, claiming that Microsoft plans to run afoul and make all Activision and Blizzard titles exclusive to Xbox. And while Microsoft representatives have reassured against this time and time again, all you really have to do is just look at the other things Microsoft has purchased recently and see that there could be you know, some truth behind this, especially after what's gone down with Bethesda games, which will be you know, all exclusive to the Xbox brand going forward, which Phil Spencer has doubled down on recently. The FTC still has a lawsuit out on Microsoft, and that trial has led to some pushback now from the Microsoft team as they're trying to subpoena records from Sony on the PlayStation blocking rights that they have for third-party studios. And like I said earlier, you know, Sony has been the most vocal against Microsoft's purchase, so this is kind of a little bit of payback in the end as these types of documents are usually the most you know, guarded and secretive of you know, these big gaming companies. Sony may be thinking, you know, whoops, as some of their business practices may come to light. You know, they've been in some hot water recently you know, over their exclusivity clauses with third-party studios they don't own, and more recently over their digital sales practices that have been you know, argued to be a monopoly of their own in the digital space. The drama is just really building up here, folks, and the console wars just seem to be back in a whole new way. But we will continue Continue to keep you guys updated on anything new if this deal actually becomes finalized if the US and the UK you know decide to actually you know allow this to happen or not personally I think that this is you know just delaying the inevitable um, I think that Microsoft will eventually still merge with Activision and everything. They're just gonna have to wait till things really blow over. But as gamers, what this might, um, what all this might do to actually affect us is, I would imagine Activision and Blizzard might have to, you know, delay their releases. Uh, before they delay their releases for this year and or for next year, as they find out, you know, what they can really do with all this. You know, I still understand why Sony would try to fight this. You know, Call of Duty is a brand um, that's worth tons. You know, it has both hardcore and super casual gamer appeal. You know, everyone out there kind of understands and knows what Call of Duty is, and it's just a household name at this point. And it also has a major community on the PlayStation. I would love to know if you guys are bummed out by this possibly becoming an exclusive to Xbox or not. You can let us know on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or at Amazing Nerd Live, where I talk more gaming stuff and uh, give you updates on what's going on on the Twitch side of things. Also, remember to stop by Twitch. Um, we are going to be live this weekend playing more Horizon Forbidden West, and I should be getting back into Dead Space. I just checked, and I actually still have my save. Um, I don't know why I can't connect some of my games to Xbox right now but it's it is what it is I'm still working things out on my PC it's what it is but yeah leave us a follow on Twitch and you'll get our live notifications for more gaming content from us but all right let's move on to some wrestling 
I beat you once, sent you to the hospital, barely breaking a sweat, and I didn't get no credit for it. They said it was an accident. You beat me. I come back from the worst injury I've had in years. I come back from a concussion, and I beat you. I do the same thing you did to me. I go and do that, and you got praise for it. You got flowers and awards for it. I didn't get nothing. They told me that it was a fluke. They told me it wasn't real. They said it didn't count. That's what I'd say too. If I got beat by a wrestling move that I learned in seventh grade, this time I will leave no doubt. Hangman, you are a great wrestler. You are even a great man. But you are not the same animal as me. All right, Christian. So AEW's revolution is upon us. Uh, so we want to go ahead and give our final predictions for the card and leave our final thoughts. Of course, we don't know what order the matches will be in, but we're going to start off with Christian Cage versus Jungle Boy Jack Perry. Now, on the show, they did a little uh, a thing. They did a little a little thing, <laughs> a little video clip. <laughs> And I thought for sure Jungle Boy was retiring the name Jungle Boy. Like I thought that's what he was about to bury, like his shorts or something there. Yes. Yeah, so to set the scene, Christian's out there in the middle of the ring with Renee mm-hmm. cutting a promo. Uh, standard affair. Your dad sucks. Blah, blah, blah. Sorry, he's dead. Blah, blah, blah. All of a sudden, we cut to the screen and we see the Jungle Boy in a graveyard uh, digging a hole. Um you know, single t- teardrops. Uh, I don't know. Like, I actually thought the same thing. I was like, oh, is he like burying the past and, you know, burying that side of himself? Because uh, they also intertwined with like clips of like everything that's happened in the mm-hmm. past with Christian. They had the moment where he hesitated uh, giving Christian the uh, concerto. So I was like, oh, okay. So is this supposed to like signify like a new chapter for Jungle Boy? And now he's just going to be like Jack Perry. Well, apparently that's not the case. And he's just the jungle taker now. Cause like there was <laughs> no reason like given for this like weird vignette. Um, Christian was so taken aback by this. You know, he just completely left the ring. And that was pretty much it. Um, you know, I was kind of half expecting them to like then announce that it was like a buried alive match or something. Yeah, exactly. Right. Cause I was like, what was this? Like, why did Jungle Boy <laughs> all of a sudden become the Undertaker or fucking like Darby Allen? Like it felt more like a Darby Allen, like, you know, promo than a mm. Jungle Boy promo. Um, I don't know, but it, it didn't do much for me. Um, it definitely didn't get me excited for this match. <laughs> so, like, I'm just over this feud. I'm yeah. happy that Christian's back, but, like, what are we on? Like, six months? Nine months, maybe? Right? Like, this started over the summer? Yeah, and I have a fun theory that, like, while this might pause the feud for a moment, you know, he brought up during his promo that um, he, too, is going to go after a world title, and he's going to try and do it, you know, before Jack... Uh, jack perry and i was like hmm could this be you know christian cage gets the title and then uh, jungle boy takes that title away from him as his win could that be the future for i actually thought 
that's how we were going to have Christian make his return. That Jungle mm-hmm. Boy was going to be in a title match, and then Christian was going to come out and like cost Jungle Boy the match. Um, and then we have the you know the reigniting of the feud. Uh, but instead, they just had him kind of like show up one day. And I, I don't know, it just like, it did nothing for me, like I said, and it just kind of felt anticlimactic. And now I'm just kind of over this. Like, like the fact that Jungle Boy hesitated after all this time to give like Christian the concerto, like after all the shitty things that Christian's done and said to him, was like, come on, man. Like, <laughs> I'm over this. Like, I thought we were already supposed to have this like new version yes. of Jungle Boy. Like he's reached, you know, puberty fi- finally and he's a man. Um, but I don't jungle know. Man now. Yes. <laughs> Call me jungle man. Um, but I, I don't know. Like we're just treading water here and I think it's time mm. to move on. Um, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to say Jack Perry wins the match. Um, but then like, you know, maybe he moves on to another feud and then Christian costs him like a title and, you know, then we've got our next chapter. Um, and then maybe we get the eventual gimmick match, which could be a buried alive match. Um, I don't necessarily want to see that because most of those matches sucked. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> since, you know, Jungle Boy's obviously been watching the WWE Network, um, who knows? Who knows what's happening? <laughs> uh, the, the teardrop looks so fucking fake. Like, uh-huh. I was like, God damn it. <laughs> Apparently your dad didn't teach you to cry on demand. Um yeah. It's like a weird late 80s like music video out of nowhere. Yes. <laughs> yes. Not in a good way. Um I'm 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 in the same boat. I think Jungle Boy will get the win here. Um and I, I hope that he does, you know, finally pull the trigger and actually hurt Christian Cage in some form. Could I could see um Luchasaurus showing up and like Christian thinking that like he's going to like be on his side and then like Luchasaurus like turns on Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have you know the team reuniting. Um I just don't want to see them actually be a tag team anymore though. Like I want Jungle Boy to like go into this like singles career now and move forward. Um, because I just felt like the team became played out. Um, I don't know what that means for Luchasaurus, but kids still love him, so he'll be fine. Exactly. Up next, we have the six-man tag team championship match uh, between the Elite and the House of Black. So I'm really looking forward to this match, but the build has been pretty shitty. Yeah. Um, The House of Black just needs a new gimmick, man. Like, not the overall aesthetic, but just the lights on, lights off shit. Like, they just need to find a different mind game for these guys to play. Um, like, I, like I, you know, back to The Undertaker. Like, I would prefer them to go, like, full ministry on, like, the elite and maybe, like, you know, them attack, like, some of the ancillary, you know, characters in the group, mm-hmm. like Brandon Cutler. They don't need to crucify him or anything like The Undertaker was doing back in, like, the late 90s. But you could do something, like, some kind of beatdown or something to, mm-hmm. like, you know, fuck with the elite. Um, you know, like, tie up Don Callis or, or kidnap Nakazawa. You know, but do something different because it's literally been the same fucking gimmick since Malachi Black showed up over a year ago. They haven't added any like new wrinkle to this. I mean, they could make a pentagram out of their shoe collection. It would be, you know, there's a lot of fun <laughs> options to go. And I'm wondering if they're really hesitant 
about like their interactions like they want to limit them because i I brought it up a couple episodes ago um where i was fearful that they would go complete like cheeseball the elite in reacting or overreacting to the Mm -hmm. house of black and really like ham it up um you know because if they did that i feel like it would totally just you know ruin the gimmick overall like if they oversell shit um which they have the like tendency to do at times especially matt jackson um but like if they bte it you know it 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 could be an issue but if they kind of just play it subtle and you know act a little freaked out or pissed off that you know you know their people are getting jumped i think it could have worked right um but this this fucking like lights on lights off shit it's like why would this mind game even work now that like everyone's seen it for over a year now and knows exactly how this all mm. plays out. You know, I'm sure someone's going to get missed right in the match and you know, it's going to, you know, you know, cost them the belts, which I think is going to happen. Like I feel like the elite are going to drop those titles. Um and they're going to like tease that person being corrupted, you know, yeah. by the House of Black. <laughs> And it's just, I don't know. I don't know if if the elite are going to be able to sell it um, in a convincing manner. Um, and I, I kind, I'm kind i kind of hoping that they lose the belts and then they just move on. You know? <laughs> Honestly, like, I, 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 I feel I, like they've done enough to establish uh-huh. the trios division where the elite can move on. Because I want them to have some kind of story. Like, they just haven't had enough story since they've returned. Like... Now that it seems like everything with Hangman is coming to a head with Moxley, I feel like they really need to, like, revisit that story of, like, the elite finally, like, reuniting. Um, especially now, too, like, it, it seems like Adam Cole is going to be a baby face. So, I don't know. I, I'm just over. I'm over this. I mean, I feel like I'd be slightly disappointed if they didn't have, like, a mini feud, you know, for maybe a month tops i don't need it to go you know i'm just the usual AEW six month length but that's my fear though like it it feels like they never do mini feuds when Uh it comes to like their top stars and then it's gonna eventually become like a rematch at a pay-per-view and that means we have to wait another like four additional months of Uh you know lights on and lights off which i I don't want to fucking see anymore so it reminds me of a lot of what like WWE was doing with uh, Malachi, where they had him in that fucking closet for six months. You know, <laughs> we're just getting him ranting and raving, uh-huh. you know, talking about like knock on my door and like nothing happening. It was like the same gimmick over and over again. Um, where like in NXT, I think that was the last time he was actually booked well, honestly, where like he had actual feuds where there are like, you know, personal stories being told or you know personal issues happening uh that made sense for it um but now it just seems like he's all smoke and mirrors and i don't know like you know all show and no go um i want to see malachi black actually fucking wrestle and i know like maybe part of it's like i i believe like a couple months back we found out that he was going through some serious injuries so maybe that's why we haven't seen him in the ring but like if they're not like dominating the trios division then i want to see them in the tag division you know or like maybe he's just out there with brody and buddy you know being kind of like a, a manager of sorts um but yeah otherwise like they're just not wrestling enough and there's not enough story behind any of their feuds like the kingston feud just kind of just 
dissipated. Like, it's just over. Like, there was no payoff whatsoever. And I don't know if, like, there's some behind-the-scene drama going on with Kingston. That's kind of what they're teasing, where, like, he wasn't happy with the, like, whole angle. Um, but it literally went nowhere. They just all of a sudden, like, you know, said, oh, we really didn't want to, you know, have you join us, Eddie. We were just trying to show that, you know, everyone could be corrupted. And we're moving on now. That was it. I was like, okay, well, that was a waste of, like, a month of my time. Uh-huh. Um and then we didn't even get like a match between Ortiz and Kingston. Like we had, we had the, uh, you know, the ladder match that happened tonight where we got to see them fight up the ramp and be like in the match for literally 20 seconds. But then like, they never came back. <laughs> I was like, wait, what's going on? <laughs> and then you saw that Kingston said yes. that he quits AEW, yes. which means he's probably just going to ring of honor. Well, and you know, spoilers, we know that he's going to be challenging Claudio uh-huh. um, for the ring of honor title. So that seems to be, you know, maybe his station now, like maybe he's going to be trying to get Ring of Honor on the map, which I'm fine with. Um, But like it did nothing for the House of Black. That feud did nothing for Ortiz. Mm. So it's it's just some strange booking that makes me feel like something's going on um, that we're just not privy to. But you say the House of Black are going to win the championship? I feel like the House of Black are going to win this match here. Um, and hopefully move on. You know, I, I understand wanting to see like a, a full on feud, but I don't know, man. I, I just want to see a different story at this point mm. with the elite. So since they've been back, it's been all about, you know, the in ring, um, which I'm fine with, but there's a juicy story like hanging over them right now with Hangman. And I think it's time to really like tell that story. Yeah, I think they're going to go for, like, a surprise victory for the House of Black here. Um, that's going to be what they think, uh, at least. I, I just think that they're going to win the titles as well. Yeah, I, it's going to be a hell of a match. Like, I'm excited uh-huh. for the actual, like, in-ring match. I just, I've kind of hated the story because there hasn't been much of one. Up next, we have the three-way match between uh, Jamie Hayter, Soraya, and Ruby Soho for the AEW Women's World Championship. So I, like, have no clue what direction they're going in here. I'm assuming they're going to have Ruby choose a side, um, even though they didn't really tease it uh, with the go home show at all. Mm-hmm. Um, at least that's what I'm hoping. Uh, I would not be opposed to Ruby actually winning the title here. Um, I, you know, Jamie's super hot, but I love Ruby and I feel like you can't keep on putting her in these situations where she comes out empty handed. Um, like she's had big match after big match and she's never been able to like, you know, you know, win the big one. Um, so I don't know. I'm also kind of scared that Soraya is going to win the title just because I don't feel like she's comfortable in the ring yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, and I'll be honest, like they haven't done enough to really build her up. Like, you know, with her ring work, like if she was out there dominating, week after week, you know, until the pay-per-view, then I'd be like, okay, yeah, let's, I could see her as a worthy contender, but I just don't see it right now. Um, I guess I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. <laughs> I think when all said and done, I'm going to say hater probably ends up, you know, retaining the title. Um, but maybe we get a new wrinkle in the, you know, the Ruby Soho story, um, you know, or maybe we have like Sheeta return. 
You know, I, I she's been gone. I guess she's injured right now, mm-hmm. um, even though they didn't even bother mentioning it on TV. <laughs> um, you know, th- there has to be a next chapter, though, to this storyline, because right now, once again, it, you know, like other storylines they've got going, like, I feel like they've just been treading water. Um, you know, it was a storyline that I was really intrigued by. And now it just feels like it's not going anywhere. Um and I don't know. I, I don't. Know. Do you have any hope for this storyline? Uh, I, I'm hoping that they all move on and start new feuds. <laughs> I just feel like we never got like a real mission statement from Soraya and Tony Storm to make real sense of any of this. Um, they just also decided that they were mean girls and they were going to beat up all of AEW's locker room, you know, women's division, basically. Um, and that was pretty much it. And they started doing the whole lame fucking, you know, greens, uh, spray paint gimmick. And I don't know, man, like it, it's gone nowhere. And it, I feel like it was an angle with a lot of promise and had a lot of heat to it. And they just kind of wasted it. What would you do to salvage this storyline? I mean, if they were going to really, you know, make a big like move with this storyline i would have soho almost just immediately side with uh, soraya and it's just a screw job on hater uh and then that's the way to you know create a clear divide you know between these two sides that start to build up and then you can have your big you know team versus team match uh, at a later paper do you have soraya then win the title i guess so i mean she has to be the leader does she though <laughs> It seems like it because she's going for the title. Uh, Tony doesn't seem to yeah. have said anything where it seems like they're equals at all. Yeah, you know? it feels like she's the leader, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. It's just like she can't necessarily be the leader yet in the ring. I still feel like she's knocking the rust off. Not uh. that she can't get there, but you know, right now, it doesn't feel like she can hold her own enough to make her feel like a worthy champion. And then you got a situation where you got like, you know, another, you know, person holding a title who doesn't feel worthy like you got with like the gun situation where I feel like a lot of the guns heat is coming from the fact that people feel like they don't belong as tag team uh-huh. champions. <laughs> um, and I don't want to see that to Soraya. Like, I just don't want them to heap too much on her before, you know, you know, she's ready. Um, but who knows? Who knows? Um, you know, maybe... Like I said, maybe you have Sheeta come out and maybe she goes ahead and chooses a side. Um, Thunder Rosa's back with the company. Um, she's doing commentating and it sounds like she might be getting ready for an in-ring return soon. Um, you know, maybe she ends up joining, you know, Soraya uh, and Tony because she can work as like an outlier also. Um, you know, because she did come in the company like with her her first run with the company, she didn't even have an AEW contract. Um, And she's always been kind of treated as an outsider by like Brit, you know, and a hater. So maybe they just double down and then you get like a heel Thunder Rosa. Um, I think that could be pretty cool. Um, Do I feel like that's going to happen? Probably not. Um, I think it's probably going to be a lot more simple and you're going to see like Ruby like you know turn on them and you know join up with Sarah and tony um i don't know i don't know it'll be interesting but i don't have a lot of 
you know, hope either <laughs> when it comes to this storyline, unfortunately. I mean, my official pick is Jamie Hayter to retain. I feel like they're not going to take the title off of her that quickly, but I don't know. There's just nothing too exciting about this feud right now. Yeah, but like, I agree with you, but at the same time, like if she doesn't lose the belt, I just don't know where this like feud is going. So I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb and say Soraya is going to walk away with the title, whether I like it or not. <laughs> it could be a situation where Tony's just afraid that like he needs to, you know, put the titles on these, you know, bigger stars that he's just hired on sooner than later like uh for ratings. Like he did with Punk, you know. Yeah. Yeah, for ratings, which I uh, I totally understand. You, you know, you want the biggest names representing your company mm-hmm. and the people that will get the most eyes, you know. I mean, Soraya has a huge following, so I mean, it doesn't hurt to have her out there doing press for the company. Um so I get it. And you know what? I mean, there's nothing like a babyface cha- chase, right? Like, you know, having the babyface chase after the, you know, evil heel. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I could definitely see them going that route. Um, I do feel like Brit's turn is going to happen soon. Um, I hope. There's some... <laughs> Just the way that they're wording things with like some of the backstage promos that Hater's been cutting and everything, and there's like these little subtle glances. Um, like she said something about like uh people who are worthy for title shots and stuff like that while Britt's standing there. Um, if they're not gonna go that route, they need to have Britt go after um Jade, I feel like. Like, they need to give, like, Jade a big feud. Because she's not even on this card at this point. No. <laughs> and rightfully so. I mean, the way they've been booking her. Like, I'm tired of, like, these, like, nothing happening feuds that she's been in with, like, just, you know, borderline enhancement talent. No offense to, like, Red Velvet and, you know, um, what, what was the other baddie? Christian, help me out here. Uh, she's a I, decent I wrestler. I know it's not Sky Blue. It's something else. Uh, no, it's not Sky Blue. Kira. Oh, Kira Hogan. There Kira you go. Kira Hogan. Yes. Sorry, Kira Hogan. Um, like she was, a, she was off to such a hot start, and she had like some like important like programs. You know, she had a program with Ruby, um, mm-hmm. and then like it's just been nothing for the last like her last like twenty five wins. It feels like they're just like. I don't know, like just so lackluster and just like thrown together. It's like they're just padding her stats to pad her stats. Um, it's it's time for her to have like an important like storyline to really like get her over as, you know, the badass she really is. So like I still hope that like if, if they do go like, you know, with Saray and the title that it's Jade who like comes to the rescue and like stands up for, you know, the originals. Um but I feel like that's just wishful thinking. I don't know if Soraya's ready for a big boot from <laughs> Jade right now. I don't know if she's ready for Jamie Hayter <laughs> right now. To be fair. At least Ruby's used to that like WWE style of match, so she can kind of like take care of Soraya in there. Well, next we have Chris Jericho versus Ricky Starks with JAS a band from Ringside. Man, I'm like the more we go over this card, the less excited I get for it. <laughs> Um, so JAS is banned, uh-huh. but the fact that it's worded as JAS is banned and me being a long suffering WWE fan makes me feel like that that means we're going to have someone else cause the outside interference and cost Ricky Starks the match. 
like action on Dreddy. Yeah. Yes. What did I say in the very beginning <laughs> after his first promo? I was like, this dude is a heel. Like, uh-huh. they might not know it yet. <laughs> and like his push went from like 100 to like zero fast. So quickly. Um, you know, and I don't know if it's any fault of his own, but like some of his matches just haven't hit. Um, you know, and it might just be due to nerves um, and just the situations that they're putting him in. Um, but like on the microphone, man, the guy just has like natural heel charisma. Um, so it, it feels like he's like a perfect fit to join like JS's, you know, Jericho's, you know, young boy, you know, posse that he's got mm. going on with um, Sammy and uh, Daniel Garcia, um, which it feels like there's no more tension between Garcia and Sammy now. All of a sudden, they're wearing I matching guess. leather pants, and I don't know. Garcia's out there helping him, like he's not like begrudgingly helping him. Like he's actually like you know going out of his way to help Sammy. Uh, it could just be on hold for right now. That yeah, we know of, I think you know? eventually you know it'll come to a head. But right now, mm-hmm. they all seem like they're on the same page. But it, it's kind of weird because it felt like they were going that direction when they first introduced that, like, you know, storyline of Sammy being like a mentor to uh, Garcia. And then, like, it's like, well, right now we want to focus on the group as a whole, so we're not going to go that route. Um, just a lot of, like, stop and start with, like, a lot of, like, Tony's, like, mid-card guys. Like, some of the, like, you know, young and up-and-coming, like, prospects. You know, because I feel like I, I feel like it was the same thing with Wheeler, where it's like, OK, you know, we're off to a hot start. And then all of a sudden we kind of like get lost in the mix and then like we kind of restart things and then we get lost in the mix again. Like, I understand you don't want to push them too fast, but at the same time, there's a way to keep them hot without them kind of like, you know, falling off the face of the planet or, you know, people just generally forgetting what the hell the storyline is. Um, you know, like these things don't need to take two years to unfold. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, what the hell match are we talking about? <laughs> I totally got Jericho oh, yes. versus Okay, Starks. so that all works. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, I'm going to say Starks loses here, unfortunately, and this storyline continues. Oh, uh, no. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to say action Please. comes out and costs uh, Starks the match. Uh, and you know, we have a new chapter for this feud that no one wants. Unfortunately, I very much agree with you just because of the JAS stipulation. It just seems like someone has to come screw over Ricky Starks to make this feud last longer. You know, my best case scenario is Starks wins and then he moves on and he faces a newly crowned TNT champion in uh powerhouse Hobbs and they can restart that feud. Um, cause I feel like there's a lot of meat on the bone and mm-hmm. I really do feel like Hobbs is going to win the title. Um, but it's weird because, and we'll talk about it in a little bit. I, I'll save it. I'll save it. How's that? <laughs> well, I mean, it is the next match. It's oh, Samoa Joe well, versus Wardlow. Yeah, I won't save it. You're so good. <laughs> I feel like with Wardlow and Joe, like Wardlow has to win the match, right? I guess, especially if Hobbs is on the other side. Dude, like, if they introduce that whole hair storyline, like, there's no way 
Wardlow uh, loses this match, especially after being like humiliated in the middle of the ring and have Joe like cut his hair, but then to come back and cut the whole like promo about like what his hair meant and how Joe knew it. Like, I feel like Wardlow has to decimate Joe here, but maybe in doing so, like he's so beat up, like after the match that Hobbs, you know, makes quick work of them or something. Um, I don't know, but it's time to pull the trigger on Hobbs. Mm. And I think they're close to like uh, his hometown. So, I mean, you heard the pop he got tonight when he won mm. um, the what was the ladder match called? It's like it's not uh, like a, stupid. It's the like brass ring bullshit. Okay, whatever. Um, yeah, I hate that it. finish was ridiculous. Yes, with all three with the, refs. All the refs. <laughs> I was like, just get the bigger ladder. No one, no one's gonna stop you. It's fine. No one's gonna care. Just I get know. The bigger ladder. I think it's probably a time issue, you know. <laughs> um, but yes, as like it's a little have ridiculous. Have the camera that at his face and have the refs push in the ladder. When else have you had like three refs holding the ladder? Never so seen that. like, yeah, an opponent can climb up the ladder and grab the ring. Like I was like, it's like this feels like a tainted victory, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and Pumped, then the cameras those refs and the cameras were like focusing on them too i was like uh-huh. fucking pan up to his face so we don't see the refs holding the goddamn ladder and then poor hobbs didn't know how to get down either uh-huh. and it was like the smallest ladder of the bunch too like he had to get <laughs> all the way on top to grab that ring and hobbs isn't a small dude i don't know if they like t and it and like didn't measure this shit properly um but yeah, like, I mean, the ladder got fucked up, like, right before he was supposed to climb it. Mm. So I'm sure that was a big part of everything that went down. But yeah, Hobbs, you got to improvise. You got to grab another ladder and just, you know, deal with the consequences later on about time. So it is what it is. But regardless, I was happy to see him win. Um, and he was getting a huge pop from the crowd. So I feel like a lot of the crowd, even though, I mean, they were near his hometown, I feel like a lot of the audience, AEW audiences in general, like in favor of Hobbs, you know, finally getting a push, um, even though like the build for like the last three or four months has, has been lackluster, like the whole like book of Hobbs thing hasn't really been working. At one point, he was actually bringing out a physical book with him. Yeah. Did yeah, I was like, dude, okay, this is so fucking eighties. Like <laughs> we don't actually need to see a book. Like, it's okay. We get the metaphor. <laughs> I don't think you're actually up at night writing this book. It's okay, Hobbs. Um, but yeah, whatever. Um, but hopefully in the long run it ends up with Hobbs and a title push. So um, but yeah, when when it comes to Joe and Wardlow, I'm going Wardlow all the way. Um, even though a part of me really wants to see Joe win. Um, and maybe we get like an extended feud between Wardlow and uh, Hobbs afterwards, you know, over the belt. Yeah, Storyline wise, it makes sense to have Wardlow go over. Um, I don't see any benefit to keeping the title on Joe. Uh, so I'm going to go with Wardlow as well. Yeah. And Joe has the uh, TV title for ROH and we know yeah. that they, he's got a pay-per-view coming up. So um you know where he'll be featured so i'm sure joe will be fine all right uh next we have john moxley versus hangman adam page in what they kept saying texas death yes i was like why do you keep on referring to his texas death <laughs> it was so weird right that's like yeah. say death match what the hell 
<laughs> the announcers were able to say match. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, they're clearly why, able to say this. Why wouldn't you be able to say deathmatch? But like uh, Moxley, Moxley must have liked the sound of it or something like that. Because <laughs> he said it like a couple weeks back too. And I was like, oh, I don't like that at mm. all. But he kept on going with it. Uh, hell of a promo. Like literally just like spewing blood from his fucking forehead. Yes. Like, <laughs> you know, I guess it took place uh, last week after the match with Evil Uno. Um, he was, you know, busted open in the melee, uh, with like hangman and the rest of the dark order, mm-hmm. uh, and came back and he cut one hell of a promo. Um, I'm super pumped for this match. This is probably one of the matches I'm most looking forward to, um, on the card. Uh, I feel like hangman's probably going to end up walking away the winner. And I feel like that's probably the right way to go. Cause I do think that we're eventually going to see Hangman go up against MJF. Like, I feel like Hangman will be probably MJF's next opponent after uh, Brian. So, um, yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Paige in a bloody battle. I mean, he he definitely is being angled as the underdog based off all these promos that they've been doing. So I I think Paige is going to go over, but it's going to be... One hell of a fight. <laughs> yes. Yes. Moxley's not going to go down quietly. No. Um, and he won't lose anything by losing the match whatsoever. Like, his record is ridiculous right now. Mm. So, like, he's only really lost a handful of matches his entire AEW career. And I think, like, a win over Moxley will really put, like, K-Man on the right path to make him feel, like, whole again as, like, a true contender for that title. Because he hasn't felt that way in a while. We also have a four-way for the Tag Team Championships. That's between the Guns, the Acclaimed, uh, Jeff and Jay, and then uh, Orange Cassidy along with Dan Housen, who just won today's show. Yes, uh, Dan Housen and Orange Cassidy entered the Casino Battle Royal after the best friends uh, were not medically clear to compete. I feel horrible for the best friends. I really thought this was their chance to get on the pay-per-view. Um, you know, since they have the feud going on, you know, against uh, Jarrett and Jay Lethal, um, it just felt like it made sense. But then I guess Tony decided that we have to have Orange on the pay-per-view, which I understand. Um, he's one of your most popular wrestlers. Um, but why not pair him with Dan Housen, who's also one of your most popular <laughs> wrestlers um yeah uh there's no way they're winning the match um i'm saying the acclaim you know regain their titles here uh what let's talk about the fucking casino battle royal for a second right isn't there usually a joker pretty sure there usually is like one wild card opponent at the end And, and like that didn't happen, right? It, like, there was not even a mention of it. No. Right? Because Orange and Danhausen, they were announced, like, prior to the match. So, you know, I don't, I, like, Tony forgot his own gimmick match? Like, it feels weird, I, right? I think they should have just called it a battle royal instead of putting this casino crap on well, front of it. Well, I understand, like, wanting to be different than the last battle royal they had last week. Um... But at the same time, I don't know, like, why do we have to have these fucking battle royals? No. 
like do, do tournaments maybe <laughs> i mean maybe there's something we don't know and they do really well in the ratings but it just feels so redundant having two back to back even uh-huh. though like i guess the casino battle royal has the whole you know royal rumble gimmick because that's really what it is uh just with tag teams um but yeah like without the joker element though i mean you just really make that whole gimmick feel you know ridiculous like it was like okay well this is just a royal rumble now Mm -hmm. um i mean maybe part of my issue is that like i got my hopes up earlier this week and you know i started you know fantasy booking that you know ftr would make their return here um you know because of the joker gimmick um that obviously was not the case um it just felt like it would make sense you know especially with Mm -hmm. the guns holding the belt and you know the last team ftr face was the guns and you know they actually ended up losing to them um so this would be their revenge uh but i don't know i don't know what the hell is going on with ftr right now um you know dax likes to you know play the media a lot and it feels to me that's what he's doing with the whole like you know are we gonna return are we gonna sign with wwe um but who knows you know maybe it's legit because i just don't know why tony wouldn't want ftr on the pay-per-view if he could have them on the pay-per-view unless it's supposed to be a surprise on dynamite or anything like that but i don't know yeah it's because i i do think that there's a heavy chance that the guns still walk out of here with the titles god uh, especially since you have so much shenanigans for all the other teams um so it's a good excuse to keep the acclaimed away from the titles if they're trying to do that oh uh, you know you have them being able to feud with you know continue on with jay lethal and jeff Jarrett if they want uh you're, i don't know there's also a chance for jeff Jarrett and jay lethal to walk away with those titles you're like booking <laughs> my absolute nightmare right now i do not want to see the guns <laughs> i'm preparing for the worst you know I, that's what i'm doing. i mean rightfully so i get it um but my god <laughs> you know if they do end up retaining hopefully it's just to like the shamrock bash or whatever the hell they call it in like two mm. weeks um and like maybe like the acclaim get like a true rematch there and win the belts because usually they have some kind of big match you know yeah. in store for that show so um yeah i mean i i, I totally could see that happening i'm gonna go with the acclaimed and that might be wishful thinking but yeah i wouldn't be surprised if the guns you know don't retain uh i'm sticking with the guns uh for now fair i think that they have enough. a big chance yeah. Ugh. But this brings us to our main event. Uh, and that's going to be our 60 minute Iron Man match for the AEW World Championship between MJF and Brian <sighs> Danielson. I really want to see Brian win this match um, for two reasons. Like, I like this feud um, and I wouldn't mind seeing it continue. Also, I feel like they need a short title reign from someone just so like the audience knows that it could happen Mm -hmm. because right now i'm sure you're thinking the same thing i'm thinking where it's just too soon for mjf to lose the title yeah but i've said that about every match on this card exactly right they need to kind of like buck that trend um because that is like an AEW trope at this point like Mm -hmm. how many short title reigns have we really had you know, in the company's history. 
like maybe like I think Brody Brody Lee was probably the shortest one, right? And that the only reason he even won the belt was because Cody had to go on and I think shoot that reality show. Yeah. Um, but then once Cody came back, he won the title. But that was like the TNT title. So like the TNT title has been kind of established as like okay, you know, you have these couple month reigns. But even with that, like they're defending the title a lot more. So you know those like first like handful of defenses, they're pretty safe to walk away mm. with victories. Um I feel like you could have Brian win the title here and then have MJF go on like a rampage and like make Brian's life a living hell and eventually like regain the title in a month or two down the line. You know, and then he could walk around and say he's the two time you know, AEW world champion. Yeah. Um, you know, his, his reign of terror, which is the theme he seems to be going with, you know, with this run, um, doesn't mean that, you know, he, he can't have multiple, like, you know, title wins. I think by doing so and having, you know, Brian win the belt from MJF, you kind of help yourself with the whole, like lame duck, you know, title defense issue, the company has because you know i mean how many like i said like how many times do we have like a new champion you know on these pay-per-views where we're like oh well he just won the belt there's no way he's gonna lose it and that's that ends up being the case by having mjf drop the title so quickly you establish that you know that there is a possibility to have like these shorter reigns and you just add a little more like stakes to these like early defenses um I don't know. I, I feel like they need to do it eventually with someone. And I feel like MJF is probably the perfect guy to do it with. Because could you imagine like the absolute like terror he would become if he gets embarrassed and he loses the belt like so soon after winning it? I just feel like there's a lot of potential in that storyline. No, I agree there. But at the same time, I, I feel like, you know, they want to do the year long storyline with him. Just so that they can have, you know, this crazy amount of days and then he can fucking say, oh, I'm taking the title with me uh, to WWE all next year. You know, I just but he can still do that if after he's, you know, of course, run on a terror. But I feel like I just believe his first promo with him pretty much stating this is what's going to happen with my title reign. And I mean, rightfully so. I mean, that's really how AEW's book their world champions is like they Mm -hmm. have these longer reigns, which is fine. I mean, that at least that's the way they booked them since like all the issues they had with like Punk and Moxley and everything like that. And then they them having to kind of hot potato the title. Uh, But that was all due to like health issues and, you know, outside, you know, drama. Um, Mm hmm. I just, I don't know, like, I feel like that story after, you know, four years almost has become kind of played. And I'd, I'd rather see, you know, the title get, like, passed back and forth a little, um, which I can't believe I'm saying because, like, <laughs> because as someone who lived through the Attitude Era, where that was a major issue with, you know, these title reigns, because, like, we had title reigns just last, like, a couple weeks or like mm-hmm. a, a couple months like back then we didn't have the long title reigns that we do nowadays um, and because of them playing hot potato with the belt it did eventually hurt the prestige of you know being a champion after a while um but at this point in like the company's young you know existence i feel like they've done an 
a good enough job of kind of keeping the title special and establishing like how important and like prestigious the belt is. So I don't think it'll get hurt by like a quick like turnover uh, when it comes to like champions, um, you know, especially if it's a part of a, you know, long running storyline where MJF loses the belt and regains the belts. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think it's going to hurt it. And you also want to see Brian with that title before he can't, you know, yeah. be in this company any longer. Yeah, you know? he needs to hold the belt at least once. And I'm sure, mm-hmm. like, he's resisting that. Because <laughs> uh, he seems to be at the point of his career where he just wants to put the younger talent over, which is fine. But I think it would do a lot for the perception of AEW and just, you know, the company as a whole to have Brian sit on top at least for a little bit as champion, um, you know, representing the company. So, um, but that's just me. I was surprised to hear him drop the authority uh, in his promo. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, right. I was like, oh, wow. Um, And I was expecting like some booze from that, but that wasn't the case. He kind of slipped that one in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I definitely wasn't ready for his F bomb. You know, it nope. was really <laughs> weird for me, at least like having the main event be like the go home promo for the pay-per-view. Um, I mean, the whole show felt fucking weird. Yeah. So yeah, I- it was, <laughs> it was a real clunky go home show overall. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, too many gimmick matches, too much Gaga, um yeah like last week i love the show but this week you know it wasn't you know the show we got a couple weeks ago where i was scratching my head like who the fuck booked this but you know Mm -hmm. it definitely wasn't like up to snuff compared to other like you know go home pay-per-view shows from AEW. um like i'm still excited for most of the matches even though i did a lot of bitching over the last like hour (laughs) about the card um you know i i like I, I'm really looking forward to MJF, you know, versus Brian. Um, I'm really looking forward to, you know, Hangman versus. Page. I'm really looking forward to Moxley versus Page, and you know, the trios match. Um, so I mean, that's like half the cards. It's okay. Like I mean, do I feel like this pay per view is going to be like you know on the upper echelon of AEW pay per views? Probably not. Um, but. Yeah, no, I, I'm still looking forward to the show. But with all that being said, um, I'm totally picking MJF to win this match. <laughs> <laughs> Safe bet, right? Because I feel like the storyline <laughs> is really MJF proving himself as mm-hmm. a worthy champion, you know, beating the wrestler's wrestler in like, you know, the most wrestling wrestling match you can possibly have, which is a 60 minute Iron Man match. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he'll cheat to win. Even him being able to hang that long with Brian is something he can really like hang his hat on um, and, you know, cut some magnificent promos, you know, with um, later on down the line. So, um, yeah, no, I'm going to go with MJF. No, I'm I'm sticking with MJF, uh, and I'm I think it's just going to be another AEW long title run. Yeah, it's too bad. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right because I feel like they they could definitely add some excitement to the show by having you know you know Brian win the belt even for a mm-hmm. short period of time. I think it will get a lot of people to tune in and check out what's going on. Well, that pop in general is going to be insane if he walks out with that title. Yes. 
Yes. You know? Yes. I agree 100%. So hopefully, eventually, he does, you know, mm. get the belt. Um, because, like, how long has he been with AEW at this point? Over a year, right? Oh, Brian. Okay, I was like, MJF's been there since the beginning. Uh, <laughs> uh, Brian? Yeah, it's over a year. I think he's... I believe so. It was the not this past all out, the all out before that. Yeah, I think a little over a year. Yeah, so I mean, he's probably got two years left. So yeah, somewhere in that time frame, he needs to at least have one title run. So mm-hmm. um, he held any belt in AEW? No, no. Yeah, no. He's due. He's due. <laughs> but all right, uh, tune in next week to find out if our predictions were true. Yeah, we'll be reviewing the pay-per-view and, you know, talking all the aftermath. Well, that does it for this week. As a friendly reminder, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, leave a five-star review. It really helps new listeners to find the podcast and for us to continue to grow. Also, if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show, follow us on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or stop by the AmazingNerdShow.com. And hey, to support the show further and get additional weekly content, you can subscribe to us now on Patreon. Just follow the link in the show notes. Also, if you want to rep some nerd show swag, you can head over to tpublic.com to find t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd show swag as long as you live in the United States. Well, all right, Damon, what are we talking about next week? Well, Christian, we're going to be breaking down episode two of The Mandalorian, and we'll also be reviewing the latest episode of The Last of Us. And of course, we'll be talking AEW Revolution. My name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. Who the hell are you? I'm Peter Parker. That's not possible. I am Spider-Man in my world. But then yesterday... I was, I I was just here.